Um, I don't know if you've noticed that it's, it can be a little difficult when your perception of somebody, especially somebody that you kind of look up to or really like or admire, and your, your perception of them in that role changes a little bit or tweaks. I'll give you an example. Um, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I remember as a kid, like, I don't know, first or second grade, and we were in the grocery store, and I saw my teacher. And I don't, I can't explain to you why that was so weird. Like, I don't know, like, I didn't think teacher, but she wasn't in my class, and she wasn't, you know, Mrs. Anderson. She was a lady getting canned peas, and it was just, it was weird. And I, then I was thinking about, you know, there's an entire industry that is dedicated to getting you to see people in the way that they don't really want you to see them. It's called the paparazzi. And all the paparazzi's job is is to get a famous person's picture without makeup. Like that's their job. Or get them coming out of Starbucks. Ooh, just like us, they go to Starbucks. It is, anyhow, this idea that, that we get set and we get accustomed to how we see a person. And Jesus knows that. And there's a couple of times in the Bible where he, he's going to play on that a little bit. He's not going to dismiss how they viewed him, but he's going to expand that role. He's going to help them see that he's not only that. I'll give you my first, my first one here. It's just a little verse, and we'll, we'll, we'll break it down a little more deeply here in a moment, but he says this in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and to us, and he says, I'm going to call you friends. I, I would describe myself as a person who easily makes acquaintances, but does not easily make friends. And what I mean by that is I, I, I struggle with the story of being a friend. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's on me. That's not on people are just mean and don't like me. But I have this story, and it's, some of my you know, inner dialogue, and some of it is my experiences, that if I'm not who you want me to be, you won't love me. And so I've had this experience where I tried to be who you wanted me to be so that you would be my friend, and that doesn't work out very well either. I, I had this thought that I, I think I think all of life is this continual loop of replaying junior high school. That, I mean, the characters change, the location changes, but we're always in junior high school. I, just for, I want you to picture, just for a moment, if you can remember, if you can remember, you, you know, you, you went through the lunch line, you know, you get, went through the lunch line, and most of us, maybe you guys, the maybe modern kids don't do this so much, but we had to go through the lunch line, and the lunch lady would, you know, give us our food. You come to the end of the lunch line, you got your milk, and then you turned, 
And then there was the whole lunchroom. And now you're just filled with anxiety. What is the anxiety? Where am I going to sit? Who can I sit with? Where are my people? And you do, oh, you, it's not even like you would accidentally sit in the wrong place. It would just never happen. And you just spend all this time slowly looking for an opening. I went to, uh, you know, I went to junior high school, and um, in my junior high school, there were four groups, four very distinct groups. There were goat ropers. I, I started thinking, maybe that wasn't a nice word, but that's what everybody called, that was cowboys. So we had cowboys, we had stoners, we had jocks, and we had geeks. You were one of those. And then in high school, we added two more. We had theater and band, and shop or motorheads. All right, so at best, at best, in high school, we expanded our world to six. But junior high, there was just four. We didn't have band or theater kids back then, and didn't have shop kids. So anyhow, four. And how do you fit in? How do you, how do you find a place to sit? Well, you kind of got to try to become one of those. And then, and then, of course, there's, okay, there was one table of miscellaneous, and that's where I sat, all right? <laughs> like, we were, just, we were just desperate and really didn't fit anywhere. This idea of of belonging, of, of wanting to be a part of, is I think part of what Jesus is playing on in this story of being his friend. Let me ask you a couple questions. Is, is the friend group of Jesus exclusive? Hang on. I think it is. Is it small? I think it is. But that's weird because is it hard to be in the friend group of Jesus? Nope. Is there something you have to do to be in the friend group of Jesus? Nope. So why is it that the, the, the you know, the road is wide and most people are on that and the gate is small for the people who would describe themselves and be described as a friend of Jesus. You see, it's, it's, it's small for precisely that reason that anybody can get in. That there's no barrier to be in the group of Jesus. You don't have to be something. You simply have to be willing to receive something. And for most people, that's offensive. They want to have, a, we want to have a sense, we're human. We want to have a sense that we deserve to belong in a group. See, I, 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 I sort of earned my way in, I've, I've got the right clothes, I, I know how to rope a goat or whatever it is. I, I belong because of who I am. And so Jesus' circle, is, it's small, I may, exclusive is maybe the wrong word, but what I mean by that is small. It, not everybody would say, yeah, I'm in that circle. But Jesus is saying, anybody can be in my circle. You're, you're all welcome. And that's the reason that it's a small circle. It is based on our confession, not on our performance. Um... 
I don't think I've had this experience. This, the last several years, I've had some weird experiences that I'm sure have happened to me previously in my life, and other, where people, you know, kind of just didn't want to be my friends. But usually, it was it was sort of a fading out. But in the last couple of years, I've had several experiences where people have been a little more forthright and said, "I don't want to be your friend anymore." You know, I don't know. It's like you're breaking up. I'm going to break up with you. I don't like which, I don't like the way you think, or I, I don't I don't want to be with you anymore. And and, and it's it's true that friendship is mutual. Like I, I and I, I you know it taps into that story of me, and so my response always when somebody has that is I will try harder. You know I, I'm going to try to win you over. Come to find out that's called a stalker. But anyhow. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Restraining order. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, <laughs> that is not, not that far. But real friendship is mutual. I, I can't say, I want to be your friend, Bill. And Bill goes, eh, not so interested. Well, too bad. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be there, coffee in the morning. There's a, there's a mutuality to it. Um, And, and, and it's mystical. It, it, it's mutual. I, I know that we, we both want this. And, and it's mystical. And I, what I mean by that is, I can't tell you why the, the, the couple of people who I would describe as my best friends, and that, that's what I'm using, kind of that really most intimate circle. A lot of people I love and they love me, but that best, best friend thing, it, there's just a couple of folks and it's, it is mysterious. It's like if somebody said, well, why is he your best friend? Well, I go, well, I mean, I could list some qualities, but there's a lot of people with those qualities. So it's, it's not like he checked, I had a little checklist. And what's interesting is my two, you know, the couple of friends, there's more than maybe two, but the, that I, I feel the most intimate with, they're nothing alike. You would think if it was about a checklist, they would all be the same. I, I can't describe it. There's something mystical, and here's what I think that mystical thing, it goes back to the first thing. They want me, and I want them. In this passage, I, I'm going to tell there, there's a couple of problems possibly that could, could, could come up. Back to John uh, chapter 15, he says this. Greater love, you probably know this verse, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you know what? I think that is a description of what I'm talking about in friendship. Now, clearly, Jesus, and this is part of that narrative, this is his last, basically, he's just a few hours from dying um, in the way the chronology would work. But, and he's clearly referencing how much he loves us and we're his friends and he's going to lay down his life for us. But he's also saying that this is what friendship looks like. It's not just the prescriptive, it's also descriptive. Here's what friends look like. They lay down their life. So you may be thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd take a bullet for my best friend. But chances are you're not going to. So is, is it some just abstract concept that one in a bazillion might happen. No, you see, life is not simply just the end of our breathing that we would do. But, but life is what, is what I am. So I would, my life 
is my time. My life is my agenda. My, my life is, um, is what my resources have, are around me. And a friend doesn't even think about offering those up to somebody they love. I could call my friend any time, day or night, if I were in trouble. I could. I know I could. I couldn't call just anybody. Maybe, I, again, that's on me. I wouldn't feel safe. But I'm saying there's a couple of people in my life, if I were stuck in jail in Kansas and I called them, they would lay down their life. They would give up their time, their resources, their agenda, and they would come get me. I wouldn't, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you're my friends. I want you. And, and you can be in this group of people who are wanted by simply believing that I want you. I'm not asking you to do one thing different. I'm asking you to get rid of that story of what it means to be a friend that you have to somehow mold and change and be careful. I want you, he says. Here's another way in which Jesus begins to sort of mess with how we and they have thought about him. Let me read a couple for you. Matthew chapter 12. But he replied to the man, Who is my brother and who are my brother? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And then over in, in Hebrews, he, he says that there's this verse about saying about Jesus. Um, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Friends and family, brother and sister, sibling. A different way to begin to think about Jesus. And it's messing with his friends. You are my brothers and sisters. Okay, I don't know how many of you are close to my age. But when I was a kid, Friday night, right before the Partridge Family came on, was my favorite TV show. My TV show, then Partridge Family. Partridge Family was good, but it wasn't my favorite. My favorite was the Brady Bunch. You don't know what that is, do you? Oh, let me tell you. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was busy with three girls of her own. They all had golden hair like their mother, the youngest one in curls. It's the story of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. They were four men living all together, but they were all alone. Till the one day when the lady met this fellow And they knew it was much Come on! They knew it's much more than a hunch That this group must somehow form a family And that's the way we became the Brady Bunch The Brady Bunch That's the way we became the Brady Bunch I loved that show Because I had in my life two step families 
I knew, I knew what it was to be in a step family. And it looked nothing like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Not even a smidgen like the Brady Bunch. But oh my, did that show speak to my deepest want. In the show, when they became this family, the thing that I kept noticing was they were always safe. They were always a priority. And that the belonging and being part of the Brady Bunch was unshakable. In a simple way, there is nothing you can do to not or to stop being my brother or sister. There's, there, you can't do something and therefore cease to be my brother or sister. In, in that, I remember one of the, I don't know, early verses I remembered as a, as a Christian, young Christian uh, teenager was out of Hebrews. It was in that, and it, it went like this. I just remember some old missionary going, he said, put your hand up, and it goes like this. I, Jesus speaking, I will never leave you. Who, who's it pointing to? Me! <laughs> I will never leave you. That's what I, oh, I knew. And, and honestly, because in my family experiences, my fears were true. Oh, me, my, my step-parents said they loved me and they liked me, but as soon as my parents divorced them, I never saw them again. I never saw my stepmother since I was 18. Never saw her again, never heard from my stepbrother. I've, I've looked for him online, I can't find him. I want to see him, her I want to tell off, but anyhow. Um, and then my, my stepdad, because we shared my younger brother, I have a half-brother, I saw him in 25 years before his death, maybe twice. And it was always because my little brother, he never called me to see, he said he loved me, he said he liked me, my mom would make him, tell Carl you love him, okay, I love you. And then, he never called me. I wasn't safe. It wasn't unchangeable. Jesus says, you are part of this family, and it's unshakable. I've shared with you before, I know that part of my early attraction to becoming a Christian was wanting to be part of a family. Years ago, I was with a, an, an African-American pastor, a good man, really good man, lovely Christian, an important voice in the uh, African-American church. And we were in a small group together for several years, and he said, you know, my highest... My highest affiliation is to my brothers and sisters who are black. Now, I understand the story of being a person of color in our country is a very difficult and horrible story in so many ways, and I understood exactly what he was saying. I knew what he meant, but I said, man, it kind of hurts because I want to be that person too. And I, I'm about as white as you're going to get. 
But I want to be a person who has somebody like the Brady Bunch family who will always, always be looking out for me too because I'm your brother. I heard, I heard a pastor one time, and they were kind of riffing on another group of Christians. And it's easy to do. I get that. I do it. But in this moment, I, I remember I, I said to them, I said, you know, those are our brothers and sisters you're talking about. They looked at me and said, yeah, no, I know they're brothers and sisters, but they're not my friends. You see, I, I know we long to be part of something that is unshakable. The story that Jesus is beginning to always change in us is this idea of who he is. And I think in a surprising way, his friends were hearing him say, I want you, and you're safe. In other words, it's not about you. It's not based on something you can do. I want you, and you're safe. You're my friend, and you're my brother and my sister. One more. And this one, I would say, they, 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 they most likely finally felt some relief because, you see, this one they knew. This is, this is the way they had become accustomed. This was Jesus in the classroom. This was Jesus, the movie star, with his makeup on. I mean, this is how they, this is how they thought of him, and so it was familiar. When Jesus said to them, you call me teacher and Lord, Excuse me, the most common way in which the disciples would have ever addressed Jesus in their entire experience, those three years of walking with him, would have been in one of two ways, which in many ways are really the same thing. They would have said to Jesus, teacher or rabbi, or they would have said Lord. Those are the two ways they would have always addressed Jesus. And so they, I, they're very comfortable with those words, right? And they know exactly what that means. What do you think of when you hear teacher and Lord? Jesus, this isn't up on the screen, but this is just a little before this verse that we're going to talk about real quickly. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God, I was going back to God. Jesus, knowing that he is the Lord of the universe, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Very intentionally, Jesus set up this little dinner party, and he made sure there was nobody there except for those 12 friends. There was going to be no, no servants, no offense, but no women, because he knew when they walked into that room, he knew that each one of those disciples would be thinking that some other disciple was below them in the hierarchy and would therefore be the foot washer that night. 
Because you see, in that social custom, it was always done that when you were to walk into a dinner party like that, there would be, this, there would be some water and some, some rags there, some towels, and the person who was viewed and known to be the lowest on the sort of hierarchy of society would automatically wash everybody else's feet. That's your job. That's what you do. And so it's fascinating that every other disciple apparently thought the other disciple was below them. And Jesus lets it play out. He lets the tension fill. They're eating dinner. Weird. Dirty feet eating dinner. And then Jesus begins. Here's what I want to caution you. If, if you think Jesus is just doing a drama here, that he's sort of teaching them a lesson, that this isn't really who Jesus is. This is just teaching them a lesson so they'll be embarrassed. Because they're, oh, they're embarrassed. He's messing with how we think about him. Do you think that an ancient Jewish person, or take any religious system, would ever think that God would say, I want you. I like you. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't not be my brother. Do you think there's any religious system like that? And even the disciples who had walked with Jesus three years, do you think they had that in their mind? Or they were still stuck in how it always looks? John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that's what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You can hear that as, well, you know, if I'm God and I did it, well, you ought to get off your little lazy button. You can do it too. Who are you to be so arrogant? Or you could hear it this way. Because you're wanted and you're safe, and yes, I, I, I'm the Lord, there's no question. I want to wash your feet. I'm, it's not a drama. It, it, it's, not a, it's not an imposition to me. It's not a loss of something to me. It's what I want to do. And you can be free to be that kind of a person too. You can do this for each other. Imagine if in our mind it wasn't about who was the better. But you're all wanted. And you're all safe. And you all can let go of the stress of trying to climb. And you're invited to be a servant. It's not a humiliation that's a graduation. I want you to close your eyes for just one moment. I want you to go back to the junior high and you've gotten your, you got your lunch tray. You, you, you're anxiously looking for a seat desperate to belong. Across 
the room. The most popular, beautiful kid in the class jumps up. Hey, come sit by me. Sit right next to me. As you sit down, he or she whispers, don't worry about it. I got you covered. You want half my dessert? The longing we had as children or in junior high to be wanted and to be safe and, and even for the people that we most admire to be good to us. Jesus does that for us as he changes how we perceive him. Lord Jesus, we call you Lord and teacher, rightly so, for that is who you are. But you've also washed our feet because you wanted to, because you love us. It's so hard for me to believe that. It's so hard to feel chosen. So give me the faith to receive it and to quit trying to think of a way in which I deserve it. Amen. So on that same night, it says that um, Jesus took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We know that Jesus was scared of what was physically going to happen to him, but Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He wanted to do this because he wants you. And he said, this cup is the covenant. This blood is the, is the new covenant. And the new covenant is summarized like this. It's not up to you. It's not on you. But it's on the one who calls us his friend. And so he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. The brown cup is wine, and the white cup is juice. And over to my right, there's a gluten-free option. And then if you want, it could be for anything, but especially if you struggle and you want, you want to believe that you're wanted and loved, there's gonna be, there'll be folks who will pray with you after the service. So I invite you to do that. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God wants you. Go in peace.